On June 30, 1860, Thomas Huxley put forward his now well-known argument that six monkeys typing on six typewriters with unlimited paper, ink, and enough time could produce an entire book by random striking of the keys. If monkeys could accomplish this, what could 100 of the world's foremost diabetes experts accomplish if they put their heads together? To learn more, stay tuned to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to this special program on diabetes. I'm Dr. Bill Rutenberg, your host, and with me today is Dr. Bill Hagopian. Dr. Hagopian is a senior scientist at the Pacific Northwest Research Institute, or PNRI, in Seattle, Washington. Today we are discussing a global approach to conquering diabetes. Hi, Dr. Hagopian. So kind of you to join us today for this special segment on diabetes. Thank you very much, Bill. On October 21st to the 23rd, over 100 international experts on diabetes from 20 countries gathered at the first Warren Magnuson Congress for a Global Diabetes Alliance. That's an amazing accomplishment. How'd you get all these people to come together? Well, leader of my institute, Dr. Robertson, organized this as his vision of how we might attack the global problem of the coming diabetes epidemic, which people have described as a tsunami, and they're probably not far off the mark. As the whole world gets more westernized and gets more affluent, the problem of having a more sedentary lifestyle and the problem of having caloric excess is is beginning to rival the problem of caloric shortage as a big problem in terms of world food intake. And what that leads to is insulin resistance, and it unmasks the genetic propensity to type 2 diabetes. So what happens is all of these populations that have high background uh, genetic risk for type 2 diabetes are going to be experiencing clinical type 2 diabetes, and that's a, that's a huge problem. The problem of type 1 diabetes is, is also increasing worldwide at about... 3 to 4% a year, and in some places higher than that. Some people have said that type 1 diabetes is doubling every 6 to 7 years. So even though it's a smaller problem than type 2 diabetes, it's also you know becoming a larger problem in the world. So you got all these scientists together. How was the conference organized? Were there any plenary sessions? And what was discussed? What were the outcomes? Well, it's interesting. We started out all together talking about how diabetes is becoming a big problem around the world. And there were speakers from various continents that each talked about what they had done. And then following that, what they had shown in terms of increasing diabetes incidence prevalence and the complications as well. And then after that, we broke into smaller group sessions to try to identify areas to sort of attack in terms of research approaches with an idea that each of these areas would be approached in a global sort of way. And they would be such things as understanding the incidence and prevalence, understanding the underlying pathophysiology, such as insulin resistance and insulin secretory reserve, and also understanding how one might apply or test in a research setting preventative therapies to prevent progression from sort of prediabetes to active diabetes, and then in diabetics, prevent uh, the development of complications of the disease, such as kidney complications or eye complications or, you know, the most important one being cardiovascular complications of diabetes. That's really what gets you, isn't it, with diabetes? Oh, absolutely. The type 2 diabetics have a very high chance of getting cardiovascular disease due to both, you know, all three actually of high blood sugar, high blood pressure, and high blood cholesterol. Are the problems the same from country to country? You mentioned high calorie and yet the underdeveloped nations, I mean, you know, we quote think these people are starving, many of them. I mean, they certainly don't have the kind of diets we have. 
Is the type 2 diabetes emerging in these countries as well? And there must be other factors. I think it is. You know, what happens is that not everywhere in the world is, it has the same nutritional problems. But it's starting to emerge, so that a lot of the developing countries are developing the wherewithal to, to have food more, more readily available for people. There's been a trend in the whole world towards urbanization. So Big Macs are invading the world, huh? Well, and people are moving into cities, and they're losing their previous culture and adopting a new one. And that new one has, has more calorie-rich foods, more fat-rich foods, more sedentary behaviors. So, And this is, this is occurring worldwide. So if it hasn't occurred in the country you happen to be focusing on right now, it may occur there soon. And the trend is what I think worries a lot of people. Did any specific projects come out of this conference You know, where you said we're going to research A, B, and C? Absolutely. There were very specific projects that were, that were proposed in terms of the different groups of breakout sessions. The breakout sessions were actually on acute complications and on chronic complications and on obesity and insulin resistance and nutrition. Another one was on epidemiology, genetics, and autoimmunity. And finally, education and behavior. Are there any specific projects that you're going to be working on? Well, one of the projects that my group, which was the epidemiology group, had had come to propose is the idea that we would be screening subjects for prediabetes or for new onset diabetes. And, you know, the the big discussion was how do you do that in the field and do it in a way that's, that's reproducible from location to location, is cheap and is accessible to, for example, a study coordinator or a study nurse in, in a variety of locations around the world. So we talked about such measures as the gold standard is a, is a two-hour oral glucose tolerance test, or OGTT. So we talked about the two-hour OGTT. We talked about 30-minute OGTTs. We talked about fasting blood sugar, fasting insulin as a measure of insulin resistance. We talked about hemoglobin A1C. And there was actually a lot of enthusiasm for hemoglobin A1C as a measurement to be able to detect diabetes in a way that would be simpler because just a single blood test would be required. But then what you have to do is you have to have standardized labs and develop them in locations around the world. And so this was an idea that was also do some calibrations. And, and so we talked all about that kind of stuff. And it got really down to the nitty-gritty of, of how one might organize such a network around the world. Before we discuss that, I'd like to welcome those who have just joined us. You're listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Bill Rutenberg, your host. And with me today is Dr. William Hagopian. We're discussing the recent Warren G. Magnuson Congress for a Global Diabetes Alliance. You were talking about how you're going to organize this around the world. Please continue. Well, we haven't yet ironed out all the details of how it will be organized around the world. I I should say that we had experts talk from the Pacific and Indian Ocean regions. We had experts talk from China and Hong Kong, from India, from talking about Africans, talking about African Americans. So, I mean, this involves both developed countries, developing countries. It involves underserved populations in, for example, our country. And all of these need to be organized into a global alliance, which can both uh, organize sort of a standard approach to research and, and to translation to improve the lives of people by decreasing the incidence and prevalence of, of diabetes, as well as decreasing the complications. Do you ex- truly expect open collaboration on the research, people sharing the data? Well, I hate to minimize the idea of the research, but actually this is not rocket science. I mean, we, this stuff has been worked out for a number of years, and I, I think the research that we'd like to do is, is more in terms of how do you translate the advances that have been made into understanding of the, of the current epidemic, 
the mechanisms of it and, and with insight then into how to interrupt those mechanisms and how do you translate the interventions that we might use. The interventions being education about diet and exercise, the interventions being maybe maybe some kind of a pill that causes insulin sensitization like the diabetes prevention, DPP, Diabetes Prevention Program here in the United States and elsewhere in the world actually. What kind of pill is that? Well, I think that they they actually used a couple of different arms in that study. And one was a exercise and dietary intervention arm, which was the most effective. However, a second arm used an insulin sensitizer. I believe it was metformin. And uh, I, I think that that, or one of the other thiazolidine dions, but either way, the insulin sensitizer pill also had quite an effect. So the question is whether you could combine those two approaches and get an effect that would sort of be more broadly effective than either one alone. And that would be to prevent people with, for example, impaired glucose tolerance, or IGT, from going on to get clinical type 2 diabetes. So this is really a here-and-now project. You're taking things we already understand and trying to really implement them. Absolutely. A second proposal, which was quite interesting, was the idea of decreasing cardiovascular complications in the people that are screened at being at high risk, and those are people with IGT or people with, with actual clinical diabetes, and the poly pill that was proposed would be a pill that would contain a low dose of a statin, a low dose of an ACE inhibitor, and a low dose of aspirin. So the toxicity should be, you know, pretty mild. Pharmaceutical companies must love this one. I don't think they necessarily would. It's not the sort of the modern Western pharmaceutical model because these are all generic drugs given at low doses. And I imagine the profit margins be pretty slim. Well, that's at least nice to know. Yeah, I mean, this is not an idea that this has to be applicable worldwide to places where, for example, it's hard to even get medical care or, or hard, to, certainly hard to get insulin or oral agents. This has to be applicable to those. Yeah, I guess Michael Moore in his movie uh, proved to us that a lot of these drugs don't cost a whole lot of money outside the United States. Well, yeah. I mean, I'm, I don't mean to be down on pharmaceutical companies. I'm actually a big advocate of pharmaceutical companies because, believe me, with the level of, of regulatory scrutiny that's involved in getting a drug to market, if there weren't this payoff for the pharmaceutical companies, it would never, ever happen. And the disease I work in in my own research program, which is type 1 diabetes, the number of incident cases is actually pretty small on an annual basis. And if there weren't incentives for the drug companies to, to make a profit on this, none of these drugs would ever make it to market. So I'm definitely in favor of that. But that's just not the sphere that we're dealing in here. We're dealing in, in, in a worldwide common, common disease where, you know, can you imagine, you know, 5% of the of the adult population of the world being on some sort of a poly pill like this? That's awesome. I mean, it really would be amazing if it could be prevented. The problem is the complications are so devastating in these areas. And so in many cases, you know, the complications such as renal failure or, or heart disease, there's just no treatment for them. So this would, would be, I think, highly effective in, in decreasing the burden of illness worldwide. I'd like to welcome those who have just joined us. You're listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Bill Rutenberg, your host, and with me today is Dr. William Hagopian. We're discussing the recent Warren G. Magnuson Congress for a Global Diabetes Alliance. Where's the funding going to come from for this? Well, the funding, the, the U.S. Congress, through the, actually, the, the Department of Defense, the Army, actually sponsored this conference. So, I mean, it was difficult, very difficult, and not cheap to, to bring people from all over the world together to, to formulate a plan, and they've gotten us started. But what we'd like to do is to organize and then to, to go out to both government and private 
funders to try to get them interested in the idea that this is going to be a worldwide epidemic on the same you know proportion as a lot of the infectious disease epidemics and is certainly worthy of consideration. So that's what we hope will be the future. We want to be very, very efficient in our research. We want to not overlap and be redundant. And there are a lot of economies of scale that can be achieved. Do you see this at all as a prototype for future international collaboration to tackle other widespread medical problems such as heart disease or cancer? Absolutely. Although I'm not an expert on those other areas, and I think heart disease is going to be sort of something that would go hand-in-hand with this diabetes program. So maybe we might be able to organize something that, that... that also involves the heart disease issues. I'd like to wrap us up on that positive note, and I'd like to thank Dr. William Hagopian, who has been my guest. We've been discussing the Warren G. Magnuson Congress for a Global Diabetes Alliance. I'm Dr. Bill Rutenberg. You've been listening to a special series on diabetes on ReachMD, XM157, the channel for medical professionals. We welcome your comments and questions. Please visit us at reachmd.com to view our weekly schedule and explore our new on-demand podcast features. Thanks for sharing your time with me. I wish you good day and good health.